please make sure you go over to YouTube, subscribe, or you can always find us on any of the podcast platforms, and that's Fostering Change. You know, it's so hard to believe that um, November is almost over. You know, we're halfway through the month of November. And with this being National Adoption Awareness Month, you know, it is truly the part that I love that I'm able to go around the country and really talk to people about what it's like to adopt through our foster care system. You know, my husband and I have had the opportunity to not adopt one, but to adopt five amazing kids out of foster care. I would do it all over again. And if my house was bigger, I probably would have adopt five more. Um, you know, I want everybody to know the Georgia takeover that we have been starting, where comfort cases are now required in every hand of a child who enters foster care in the state of Georgia. It is really knocking it out of the park. Um, Alana, I'm going to see you in a couple of days, but I'm so, so excited to have my next guest. You know, my next guest, you know, I truly think that a lot of times when we adopt or when we actually foster, so many times um, people don't realize the support that we need. And the one thing that I always tell people when they ask me about whether or not they're going to foster or they're going to adopt through foster care, what is the very first thing that they should do? And I always say, find your community. Find your community. You know, um, that community could be people from your church, that could be people that you work with, that could be neighbors, but find your community. Mike and Kristen Berry, welcome to Fostering Change. Thanks for having us. Thank We're so you. glad to be here. Yeah, so you guys here. actually have a um, organization called the Resilient Caregiver. Can you let my viewers and listeners know exactly what that is? Yeah, actually, uh, if if any of your viewers and listeners have followed us at all for any amount of time, they know that we used to be Confessions of an Adoptive Parent, then we were the Honestly Adoption Company, and now we're the Resilient Caregiver. And yeah, I know we've been on a little bit of a journey. Um, and the reason why we uh, have moved have I, I say, we say like grown into that is that we are really passionate about um, providing resources and support uh, to caregivers particularly on the foster adoption journey, to help them thrive, to help them become the best caregiver possible. And we know how difficult this journey can be. We know how exhausting it can be. We know, in fact, right before we got on this uh, in this episode with you, we Kristen's emailing about IEPs, right? Uh, we're balancing therapy schedules and all that. It's exhausting and it causes us to 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 be bogged down, to feel exhausted, and we feel like I don't know if I can do this one more day. So we are all about helping caregivers achieve resiliency, helping them know they're not alone, that there is support, that there are resources that will help them thrive. So that's really what resilient caregivers all about. I love it. I absolutely love it. And by the way, after we finish recording this, I'm actually heading to the school for my son's IEP. So I totally get that 100%. You know, we, we all know the statistics. We know the statistics tell us that the average caregiver, um, and we can call them foster parents, I prefer, I love the caregivers that, you know, I, I really... The, the word foster as a kid who grew up as, as a kid who they called a foster kid. Um, it is something I've always tried to get people to change their vocabulary and realize that these are kids experiencing foster care and yes. that are caregivers um, that are giving as much care and love as they possibly can. But we know the burnout ratio. We know that in our country, 18 months is the average lifespan of a caregiver. And we also know that the reason that they have that burnout is because of non-support. Non-support. 
You know, um, I I truly, you know, you know, when my husband and I decided to to start the journey. You know, we walked into this. Yes, I grew up in the system. Yes, I aged out of the system. My husband grew up in Kansas, totally different type of life. But never, ever, ever did I expect to see what I saw in the system. And never, ever did I ever expect to see the lack of support that caregivers get. And then, now, mind you, we, you know, our first four adoptions, um, it was like the judge signed the papers and then it was crickets. I mean, literally crickets. Where, what do you think that we need to do? Because this is not the way the system is going to make healthy, healthy children turn into a healthy adults. Yeah. 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 I mean, we need tangible support. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what Mike and I provide is, um, it's tangible, but it's online. It, it's giving you um, connection to the resources. Yeah. What do we need in everyday life? Um, I need the Medicaid office to pick up the phone. That's what I need in real life. I mean, if, if we're really asking, I was on the phone for an hour this morning because Medicaid decided not to pay for my kid's um, doctor or prescriptions yeah. and we need yeah. this we need it today um and they've decided i i don't really know uh what they've decided but they've decided they're they're not paying um isn't that crazy isn't that it is crazy i mean i think people need to realize and the thing is is that i get a lot of hate because i'm a very outspoken person when it comes to our system and our system is absolutely shattered and to yes. even think yeah to think, and by the way, so you know, when when you adopt a child out of foster care, just so everybody knows, um, it is required, which it's I this part I don't even understand why, it is required that they must keep Medicaid. Um, so even though my children, all five of them are legally adopted, all five of them are under my private insurance that I pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a month for, my children are still required to keep that Medicaid on them. And I tell people all the time, they were like, why don't you use that? And I said, because I don't care what anyone says. It is not the same insurance. Mm, it's not the same insurance. Totally true. Yes. And um, it should be something that's really helpful for our kids. So I, I have a child that needs to go to the hematologist. This is not an adoption-related, foster care-related need. Any child might need to go to the hematologist. When we go to the hematologist, it costs $500 just to walk in the door. So if we have Medicaid and Medicaid works, then my child can get the needed care. Mm -hmm. Then I can successfully parent. I can meet my child's need to be a, a hematologist as a doctor for blood. If you're not with me, tracking with me here, um, this is really important because we all have blood and it all needs to function right. properly and our bodies mm -hmm. need to function. I can focus on being a really good caregiver if I can get my child's medical needs met. Mm -hmm. So Medicaid could be a really great resource until you walk into the doctor's office and they say, you've got this unpaid $500 bill. And we say, well, no, we don't because my child has traditional Medicaid through the foster care yeah. system and they are entitled to that. I didn't mean to go off on that rabbit trail. I, I think that there are a few things that caregivers need to be right. good caregivers. And we need 
tangible support. We need access to health insurance. We need um, schools to understand that when I'm explaining that my kid has experienced an intense amount of trauma, and when you embarrassed him yesterday in school, he absolutely did call you a trail of four-letter words. Yep. And I'm right on the show. Been there, been there. I mean, let's not say that my kid is not verbal. <laughs> and yes, yes, my child needs us to to be the parent. Yes, our child needed to be talked to. Yes, our child ended up with a consequence, but then I need the school to have access to information, to understand the effect of trauma, to understand that embarrassing any child at school is unacceptable, exactly. but to embarrass a child yeah. who's lost everything, who who genuinely carries with them that feeling of not knowing where they fit in and where they belong, to then be embarrassed on yeah. top of that because they don't understand the periodic table I don't understand the period. No, I, and I agree with you. And by the oh. way, Reese and I are, we are adamant that when our children start, you know, a new grade or, you know, my kids, I, I, I've got a couple of kids that have gone from middle school to high school that we've gone and sat down and said, listen, we need you to know their life story because, uh, you know, my one son is not a kid who you can sit there and badger him about something. If you see that he's right. getting that elevate, you need to walk away. Yeah. Because you need to allow him to use his, whatever he, mm -hmm. you know, all of the things that we've tried to teach him. Because if you don't, he's going to trigger. And then when he throws that desk or when he cusses and calls you every name in the book, I've warned you, you know. And again, my kids have consequences. We sit down, we talk, we have therapy always. I, I love, I, I tell everybody what's my favorite T word. I say therapy. I love my therapist <laughs> every single Monday. I don't know what I would do without Dr. Rich. Um, but, you know, the fact is, is that we need to educate, you know, yeah. our society, our teachers, you know, anyone that we are dealing with. So I remember, and I've never shared this story before. But I remember about 12 years ago when my husband and I, we moved to a new town and um, we were looking for churches and we ended up walking into this one church that actually ended up becoming our church of our home. And and um, I remember talking to the the minister and talking about the fact that I have a son who has fetal alcohol syndrome. And so he is very compulsive and he's not one who can sit down in the chair and he's going to run out of Sunday school and he's going to spit on you at times if they're I mean you don't understand he's four years old he's like you know dealing with all this trauma that he's dealt with as a young little lad and I will never forget the minister of our church stood up in front of the congregation as all the little kids were in Sunday school and talked about acceptance and about how we need to understand that every single person and child has a story and we don't know how they're going to react. So we all should have patience and grace. I think that we don't do that enough. Oh, no, I, I totally. And I think that as parents and as foster parents, I, I think that most of us who've decided to become a foster parent have decided that because we understand that everyone has a story and we understand that everybody is a valuable human being yep. but when we go in public not everybody understands that and I'm wondering my question for you then as somebody who did experience foster care um how how do you balance that out with your kids knowing what people say sometimes when yeah. they hear the story. I know that as a parent, I'm 
you I'm sorry you can talk next um <laughs> well I'm just I'm, I'm thinking about it right now so much because I, I've been everywhere on that spectrum with our kids where I've sat down with the teacher and said I need you to understand that this child just lost everything I need you to understand yeah. um I've had a teacher respond back with is that what the burn mark is on the child's okay. arm yeah it is and you saw the teacher just open up. That was it. From that moment forward, my child had that teacher. That teacher was advocating. I've also had the response where now I hear the whispers, foster kid, foster kid, foster yeah. kid. Bad. What did he do? Right. right. What, or what did, did the parents the, do? Yes. Or the mother. I don't know why when somebody. Oh, the fathers don't do anything. They're glory. Right. The fathers they, don't do anything. It's all so. They, sorry, guys. I, mean, I, I, I see mean, it all the they, time. It's the blame always, is always put on the woman. You know, it's always said that way too, as if not. What did his mother do? What did her mother do? What did the mother do? It's a it's a disconnect. It's putting that person, uh, removing that person's humanity, and making that person an object. What mm -hmm. did the mother do? I and I hear those whispers, and I'm wondering, having experienced both sides. How do you engage in that conversation with the school? So first of all, the one thing that we've always done has been very, very transparent with our children from the very beginning. You know, first of all, raising four children of color, um, we've made sure that when people enter, walk up to us and we get this all the time where they'll say, oh, your kids are so beautiful. We don't see any color. And I'm like, well, then you don't see my four black kids. Um, and that's the first thing. The second thing is, is that we give our children the opportunity to tell their story when they're ready to tell their story. Now, understanding I have a number one best-selling memoir out. It does talk about my children. It talks about my past. It's being turned into a movie. All of that in my kids, but my kids signed off on it. You know, so my kids, you know, but the thing is, is that, you know, we have two we have two sets of siblings and then we have one a, a, our son we just adopted by the way our oldest son we adopted him he arrived when he was 18 and we adopted him at 22 but our our kids our younger kids um they arrived when they were six months two two and four they're now 14 16 16 and 19 we have an amazing relationship with one set of birth mother um and she, she should by the way she should have never had her kids taken right. away from her up for adoption. I mean, I see these tragedies and I'm so lucky that we have such a great relationship that, you know, she calls me, I call her, she comes over, she spends weekends at our house. She has other kids. She brings those other kids. She loves all of my children as if they were her own. Um, but you know what? I think it's so hard for us as caregivers, even when we do adopt to know what is the right thing to do because there is no manual and understand you know I have one particular son he has reactive attachment disorder and people are shocked because they're just like well wait a minute you've had him since he was two years old why all of a sudden when he's 12 he's now starting to show these behaviors and I you know trying to educate people to say you know trauma doesn't come out when you're ready for it to come out Trauma comes out when it has 
started to affect that inner person, which happened to be 12 years old for our son. You know, he's now 16. He's doing well. He's thriving. But it was three years of hell. It was three years of hell with no system supporting us. Nobody yeah. coming to our saying, hey, you're going to make it through this. I mean, if it wasn't for our, our friends and, and our church and, you know, our therapist, you know, I mean, I, we're lucky we made it through. And that's why we see so many boomerang kids. Yeah. People do not realize the number of children that are adopted out of foster care and then given back. Mm -hmm. You know, it's um, so my question and and Barry, you know, I, I'm going to I mean, Mike, I'm going to ask you this question, Mike. Yeah. You know, so much we keep seeing in the news, the negative, the negative, the negative. We see the negative foster parents. You know, there was just a, a case, you know, within a state, you know. Two kids found dead. We see this all over the country. Um, negative, negative, negative. Do you think that we are shining way too much light on the negative and we're really not talking about some of what the positive is? And that's why we as our human race has such a myth about these kids? Yeah, yeah. I would say absolutely yes to that, that we are shining almost entirely a negative light. And the reason for that is that in today's media, those stories sell, those stories get attention, those stories prompt um, viewership. And in the, the multimedia universe that we live in, it's all about clicks, it's all about views, it's all about shares, things like that. So unfortunately, that's that's the that centers around negativity in all things news related, right? Um, but there are, and we've we've said this over the last 15 years or so, 20 years, that there are so many positive, beautiful things. I mean, this conversation right here and what you do, what your organization does is a po is a beautiful, positive story that the world needs to, to hear, that the world needs to experience. So they see what I believe to be is a more accurate picture of foster care and the adoption journey. Now, yes, there are negative things that that happen out of that. That's a reality. We've had we've had a few headlines here in Indianapolis where we live, but there are also lots of amazing, beautiful storylines coming out of of the foster care and adoption journey. We're heading to a conference this coming weekend where we're going to be interacting with two amazing human beings uh, who uh, are who have come out of the ashes of this, right? Who have risen out of the the negativity and have become positive, amazing lights. One of those is our friend Tori Hope Peterson. Um, and the other one is uh, Peter Mutabazi, two good friends of ours, right? They've both great been on our show. Job. Yeah, are they amazing? Great, um, great humans. And, um, you know, so yes, I think that that, that, that is a reality. Um, and I don't think it's going to reality that's going to change anytime soon, because unless we can convince these major media outlets and big news companies to, Hey, let's share a few more positive stories. Yeah. Maybe more so the negative, it's not going to change. That's why we do what we do. You do what you do because we're hoping to move that needle. Yeah. You know, I always say this all the time. If we pick that low hanging fruit, the tree will grow a lot taller and yes. children are our trees. And, and for me, you know, I've said this 
a million times when you invest in a child, you actually invest in our future because they are our leaders of tomorrow. They are our leaders of tomorrow. So we should be investing in them. And when you're looking at close to 400,000 children, it's in our foster care system. And by the way, I've heard every number under the sun. I don't believe any of them. The fact that I know for a fact that we have over 23,000 children in the United States that go missing in foster care, and they just call them AWOL. I don't see them on milk cartons. I don't see them on billboards. These are kids who we have treated as they do not matter. And the sad part is, is they've entered a system because of a choice that someone else made, a choice that someone else made. And we as good humans have the ability to make the right choice, to help them along that path, to understand we need to immediately discuss How do we support this child with the trauma they might have today or the trauma they're going to have in 15 years from now? Because I'll tell you something, my trauma did not come out until I was in my 20s, you know, for what I experienced as a young boy. So, you know, there is not a timeline of when you get that trauma. For me, it was a trigger. And, you know, all the next thing you know, all the walls fell down. So, listen, I absolutely think the world of both of you. I love the fact exactly what I said, which is you're helping people find their community, you know, finding that support, finding that vent that, you know, we so, so need. Um, I work with a couple of organizations. One of them is an organization called Second Nurture. And what they do is they try to wrap an entire community around the caregiver's family. So if they need to, you know, just go get their nails done or, you know, go have a date night that they feel like they have that. Because I don't know about you all, but, you know, we, we had four kids within three months and I, it was crazy. And I always say to Reese now that, the kids are older you know I was like I have no idea how we made it through those first couple of years but right. you know what? Yeah. <laughs> we, we wanted to do it so listen um t- how do people get a hold of you yeah uh, um great question thank you for asking that so our main website is resilientcaregiver.org um but actually back to a question you asked earlier on you know how do we support you know what do we do for for uh caregivers we just launched uh, Resilient Caregiver University, which is 24-7 support and training to help caregivers thrive. You can find that at resilientcaregiver.org slash university. Love it. Um, and it may, we'll send you a, a link because it may close before a listener gets a chance to get in, but we'll send you guys a special link. Yeah, we'll definitely, you know, send us all the links. Everybody, you all know, you know, I'm really, really big on lifting up our nonprofit. So do me a favor. I want you to go to their website. If they got a donation page, click. Um, because it does take money for us to move the needle. And so you know what I feel about donations. And I really want you to support this amazing organization. Because when you support your community, your foundation is stronger. And so organizations like yours, um, you know, we need to be opening up our wallets and we need to be showing the love because um, you guys are truly making a difference. Listen, everybody, it is another amazing episode of Falls. You know, I say this every single time. You know, I say this is my fifth season. I think it might be my last year, but then I have amazing humans on and I'm thinking, you know what? I might do this again. So, you know what? Until next time, time. Um, I'll talk to you next Tuesday and continue to be a good human. Take care, everyone.